This is The Sidebar for the week of September 22, 2017. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Putin seems to have really gone out of his way to uh, to not be, or at least to not appear to be, beholden to anybody. Right? His the role that he has shaped for himself really since he um, uh, came to power has been one of of arbiter. This week we discuss Russian President Vladimir Putin with our guest Sam Green. He is the director of the Russia Institute at King's College in London. We spoke with him about how Putin's time in the KGB shaped his political philosophy, his rise to power in Moscow, and how Putin views his role in the Russian government. Sam Green, let's talk about Vladimir Putin, the person. How did the KGB shape his worldview? Well, I mean... (laughs) I would start with that question, right? By um, with the caveat, right? I mean, the reality is that um, we can't get into this guy's head, right? We can't get into most people's heads, but this is a particularly difficult head uh, to get into, and maybe not um, a very pleasant place to be. But um, the um, there are bits and pieces of what we know, and, and what we know really comes from more than anything else, sort of what he has told us in um, in in interviews over the years. Um, you know, he uh, seems to have gone into the KGB, um, you know, through a degree of, um, um, of, of both ambition and idealism, right? Um, uh, you know, th- there was a time really for a lot of people in the Soviet Union in which, you know, serving the state by uh, serving in the secret services was, um, uh, you know, a, a rather glamorous um, thing to do, uh, and, and he seems, as, as a young man, to have been captured by that, um, and uh, and by a sense that the the KGB, um, uh, you know, had a, a vital role to play in um, in the security of of the Russian state or the Soviet state, as it was at the time. Um, you know, we, we we do think though of the KGB as having been this. Um, uh, this you know, peculiarly Soviet thing that somehow it was um, bound up in, um, in, in in communism and Marxist ideology, and, and certainly I think there were aspects to that uh, that that are true. But um, there has been this um, sort of uh, sense of a, of a continuum of uh, of responsibility and of power that really stretches from the Tsarist era, um, uh, secret police, through to the uh, the KGB in its various iterations and forms under under Soviet power, and then into the um, the post-Soviet FSB and security services um, that uh, that Putin later rose to uh, to lead. Right. So to say that he was a KGB man is is less to say that necessarily he was. Um, uh, Soviet or, or or Marxist or communist, and, and more to say that he would have been motivated by um, an abiding belief in um, uh, in the importance of of the Russian state, um, of uh, of the security of that state, and and the importance of um, of the secret services to to maintain that state. That there was a sense, even even though this was a, a you know an officially atheist ideology, almost of a of a God given. Um, mission, right? We, we know that that was part of, of the ethos of the KGB, um, and, uh, and and thus it stands to reason that it would have been part of his worldview um, as well. Um, but he, 
you know, came to um, came into his KGB career at a time when uh, the Soviet Union and the KGB itself was under uh, a lot of stress, right? So uh, there was uh, less and less of a role of ideology. The Communist Party itself uh, was beginning to uh, to fracture uh, its its grip over how the country was governed, how the economy functioned, was beginning to uh, wane, and Soviet power around the world was beginning to wane. And so there's this very formative moment um, in, in in Putin's life again, you know, from his own words when he is. In Dresden, um, the the Berlin Wall essentially is is falling. There are crowds of of East Germans outside of his um, uh, post, and he doesn't know what to do. And he calls Moscow, and Moscow doesn't answer. Right, um, his his. Um, uh, sense of of uh, of dislocation of, of of a lack of connection to his mission and and the state that he's supposed to be there um, uh, protecting seems to have been um, a, a real uh, shock to his system um, as you can imagine it probably would have been for anybody you know serving in the secret services in in, in those situations and so I think that that seems to have motivated a lot of his sense of, of, of the importance, the primacy of making sure that uh, that the state is there, that the state is powerful, that the state always answers the phone when when um, when a crisis hits. I'm struck by something you said at the very beginning, how little we really know about Vladimir Putin, because he is a very public figure. He portrays an often macho image. He holds a yearly news conference that we cover here on the C-SPAN networks that lasts hours. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yet we really don't know a lot about him. Well, you know, we know what uh, what what we see, right? There's books. I look at my bookshelf at the moment, and, and there's a number of books, you know, Mr. Putin and other things that you know that that purport to sort of to, to get into his um, uh, psychology. I'm personally um, uncomfortable with that, not just because people, you know, obviously construct their images, and that's true of of, of any politician. Any politician, you know, has uh, uh, any successful politician, at least, um, you know, projects uh, a public image, and there's some degree of distance between that and the person that they are. Uh, privately, they're also a construct of you know all of the people around them, the people working for them, all of the people helping to uh, to set their agenda and to to implement that agenda, right? So. Um, uh, but uh, you know he does, and it has always had the advantage of um, uh, not having to answer a lot of questions, right? So yes, he does go on TV for hours at a time and answer questions. But first of all, they're almost never about him, um, or they're um, uh, in any case rather carefully um, uh, curated, right? But but there are some things that, that we do know, you know, having been observing him now for a number. Of of years, you know, almost um, almost a couple of decades. Um, he he does attach a great deal of of importance to his his physical image, right? The idea of 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 masculinity and of projecting power, not just through policies, right, but through his very person, his physique, um, and 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 his bearing, right? Um, we know that. Um, you know, although he has at times, you know, portrayed uh, a um, a great command of of numbers and of facts, um, and and he likes to show that he you know knows you know, not everything about everything, but most things about most things, right? Um, uh, that he um, doesn't see himself as an intellectual, right? He's not um, seeing himself even necessarily as a as a moral leader. He does like to. 
um, uh, project something of a of a connection with um, uh, with the common man. It's not to say that he's necessarily um, uh, a populist, right? But he will um, uh, try to speak in in language that is not highfalutin, right? That is not um, uh, the language of of, um, of philosophy. Uh, and of and of literature, but is more uh, something closer to the language of of the street. And again, from his own stories, you know, he was uh, he he grew up in in in, in sort of a um, a rough and tumble kind of uh, of childhood, and that does also seem to shape his um, his instincts and and the the languages and the terms uh, in which he couches things. So everything for him is is a struggle. Everything for him is is a zero sum. Uh, equation. There are always winners and losers. And so the important thing for him, obviously, is is to be the winner. Sam Green, you wrote the book, Moscow in Movement, Power and Opposition in Putin's Russia. Mm-hmm. Who helped him along the way? Who are his role models or mentors? Uh, well, I mean, I, I wrote the book about power and opposition, not about Putin so much, but uh, about the people who were, you know, uh, tr- living and trying to make their way in uh, in a changing and political environment um, under him. I, I think, though, that's a, an interesting question about his uh, mentors and one we don't know um, a whole lot about. Uh, I mean, he did sort of um, uh, rise up. It, through a lot of um, obscurity, frankly, right? So we we don't really know much about who he worked for um, uh, when he was in the KGB right up until uh, he came back to Russia and then started working uh, with Anatoly Subchuk, who was the, the reformist mayor of, uh, of Leningrad and St. Petersburg, um, we uh, gather that that uh, you know, that was an important figure for Putin, somebody uh, from whom uh, he probably began to learn the skills of um, of public politics. Even though that that clearly wasn't um, uh, Putin's job for him, he was more of a of a business manager and a fixer. Uh, but he saw somebody out, uh, you know, campaigning, out talking to ordinary people, and then he was brought to um, uh, to Moscow by. Um, Yeltsin, somebody whom you know, he he would, um, to a certain extent, repudiate once he became uh, president, but who also, um, you know, to to a certain extent, was um, uh, was a protector of Putin. From what we know, Yeltsin trusted him, saw him as 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 somebody who. Um, uh, you know, who could be entrusted with um, uh, with the reins of first of the security services and then of the state, somebody who um, uh, was not a threat. That was probably a misjudgment over time, right? But um, uh, but it, it's reasonable to assume that uh, that that um, um, a sense of, of I don't know if admiration, but at least respect, probably would have been uh, mutual. But beyond that. Right. Um, uh, Putin seems to have really gone out of his way to uh, to not be, or at least to not appear to be, beholden to anybody. Right. His the, the role that he has shaped for himself really since he um, uh, came to power has been one of of arbiter. Right. So he sees all of these competing groups and, and interests within uh, within the elite, the very upper echelons of, of Russian politics and 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 business. Uh, and, and the security establishment, he sees his role as 
mediating in those conflicts, making sure that those conflicts don't get out of hand, that they don't threaten the state, that nobody uh, gains permanent advantage, that nobody uh, you know, seeks to overturn the system. And part of doing that means making sure that um, he is not seen to be partial or, or partisan in any of those conflicts. So he's been very careful to make sure that uh, we don't see um, uh, uh, sort of long-lasting relationships of, of loyalty or of obligation on his part. I want to come back to the issue of his political rise, but I'm curious, if you had the chance to sit down with Vladimir Putin and ask him mm-hmm. one question about him, what would you ask him? About him as a person? Correct. Or about him as a politician? Um, um, it's hard to come down to one question. Um I am genuinely curious about um, what he was thinking um, you know, back in 2008 when he decided to step aside and serve for a term as, um, as prime minister. I think there is some reasonable debate about whether he, he knew already then that, you know, that, that he was going to come back as president or whether he um, um, maybe genuinely thought that he could step aside. So it would be interesting if I thought he would answer honestly to – um, uh, to talk about that. Um, uh, I think it, it would be interesting to hear him reflect as well on, um, on the people who have uh, come before him. Right? He, he's been lucky. He came to power at a time when um, the hardest bits of reform, privatizing the economy, setting up basic market relationships, the basic sort of underpinnings of capitalism uh, had already been done. Most of the, the pain of, of, of post-Soviet transition, of, of uh, moving away from a planned economy had, had already passed um, for the, the vast majority of the Russian population. And all of a sudden, oil prices spiked and there was, there was money to spend. That meant it was much easier to get everybody on board and sort of pointed in the, in the same direction. I do wonder to what extent he appreciates the, the challenges of, uh, that were faced by the people who came before him, whether, whether Yeltsin or, uh, or Gorbachev. Back in 1999, two Moscow apartments were bombed. Did that mm-hmm. affect or impact his political rise? Well, I mean, a lot of people would credit that with uh, with creating his rise. I mean, you had to remember when he was first appointed, um, there had been this sort of long succession, uh, succession of, of um, prime ministers um, uh, appointed by Yeltsin um, in, in the aftermath, uh, or the run-up to, and then the aftermath of the August 1998 financial crisis. And and um, uh, you know, Putin was appointed. He was somebody that you know the FSB at that point was not a, a major player. Didn't seem to be a major player in politics, and so people hadn't paid a lot of attention to this guy who who was running it. Um, uh, a lot of people didn't know who he was, even even within uh, you know sort of the, the analytical community. And um, and when Yeltsin said, uh, you know, this is the guy who's going to be my successor, very very few people took that. Um, Seriously, uh, but um, the uh, the apartment bombings, and then even more obviously the the ensuing um, uh, sort of renewal of war in uh, and around Chechnya, um, uh, really gave him uh, the opportunity to uh, demonstrate um, uh, some leadership, right? To um, create sort of a rally around the flag, um, which really um, uh, redounded to his benefit. 
Do you know anything about his now ex-wife or his two daughters? Um, you know, I only know what I read in the papers, and, and that's not um, a whole lot. Um, you know, uh, none of them seem to be um, poor, right? Um, uh, and, and that's not um, surprising. Um, um you know, they, they, they seem to, to play broadly the same game that a lot of other well-connected people do within uh, within the Russian system, which is the ability to call on, on capital when it's um, when it's useful uh, to you to make favored uh, you know, investments under favorable terms and and um, you know, to be fairly confident that you're going to be um, uh, taken care of. They don't seem to be people with uh, with political ambitions or agendas um, uh, beyond that, other than living a um, a very uh, comfortable life. But you know, my my focus is on um, sort of the practice of, of Russian politics, and I, I, I frankly don't see them as terribly politically consequential. Well, based on that, though, how much is Vladimir Putin worth, and where did he get his wealth? Uh, well, I mean, that is. Um, Another tricky question. These are all tricky questions, right? I mean, the the, the um, there have been estimates out there which I think you know range up into the you know tens of, of millions of dollars uh, in terms of what people can put their finger on, and 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 probably actually go considerably higher than that. Uh, I mean, the likelihood is is that Putin probably does have assets under his name stashed away in in in, in bank accounts and other places here, uh, and uh, and there, but. Um, uh, but I think the, the overwhelming likelihood is that um, there actually isn't all that much that directly belongs to him um, for um, a couple of reasons. One, he doesn't need there to be. Right? So uh, anything that he needs at any given time, uh, he can call on. Right? The, the, the hallmark of his political system, the system that he's created within, within the management of the economy, is that nobody in Russia really owns anything. Right. Uh, I mean, ordinary people on their apartments, you can own a small business. But if you're at the commanding heights of the economy, what you have is a leasehold on your property. Right. So what that means is your lease can be terminated at any time while you have control over that asset, whether it's a, an oil company or, um, you know, a, a region that you've been allowed to, to govern or or uh, or a bank, right? Um, you can extract benefit from that. You can extract rents from that. You can accumulate that money and and, and invest it in things. But when the uh, when the state needs to redistribute your assets uh, for whatever political purpose, right? Um, uh, it, it gets what it wants, and you give up willingly. And if you don't, then you know then then, then you face rather severe consequences. And various people, you know, starting with Gusinski, Berezovsky, Hadarkovsky, and others have have learned that uh, the hard way, right? So um, if you are at the top of that system, that means that anytime you need access to an asset, right, it, it's there for you and nobody's going to say no, right? Um, but it also means that you understand perfectly well that uh, when your time is done in this office, right, that it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter how many shares you own of, what, of whatever company, right? Um, uh, that can all be taken away by whoever comes next, and that's, I think, part of the challenge also that he faces when you know that, right, um, and that your ability not only to uh, to protect your future, but the future of you know, people you just mentioned, his wife and daughters and other people that might be important to you. Um, uh, uh, when you know that that can all be taken away, it becomes very, very difficult to think about leaving.
We're talking with Sam Green. He is the director of the Russia Institute at King's College and joining us from London. As you know, over the years, there have been reports of a number of mysterious deaths of his political enemies. Can you shed any light into those accusations? Not really. I'm not an investigator. I mean, uh, um, you know, it's been said by people much closer uh, to this than I am, by which I mean people who you know, that, that themselves might have reason to worry about um, about their own uh, safety and, and their own lives, that, um, uh, yes, these are, you know, unsolved murders. Yes, we don't know, although in most cases we eventually find out who actually pulled the trigger. We don't know who ordered it, and we understand that these triggers weren't, you know, uh, pulled by, by people acting on their own behalf. Uh, generally speaking, um, but we also know that you know people who are um, uh, friends of the Kremlin, one way or another, don't tend to to end up dead. It always seems to be people uh, on the other side of of the political barricades. Um, you know, violence and uh, uh, has not been a part. Uh, well, has not been a major part of of, of Russian uh, uh, politics under Putin, but it's always been. Um, uh, there somewhere in um, in the background, the sort of amorphous threat that that it could um, happen. Uh, the best we understand, uh, you know, I think it's it's unlikely that these sorts of things, whether you're talking about murders of people like you know Boris Nemtsov a couple of years ago, or Anna Politkovskaya before that, or human rights activists, journalists, politicians over the years, that that they um, they're not ordered. Um, in uh, in the Kremlin, um, um, but um, the people who uh, do decide to take it upon themselves to organize these things feel that they are providing a service that would be welcomed, right? Uh, and that they are in in most cases, right, going to do their homework uh, informally through back channels and and sort of quiet conversations to make sure that. That they're reading the situation right, because of course, if 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 you don't, right, if you end up causing more problems for the Kremlin than uh, than you solve, um, then um, you are um, uh, taking a, a, a tremendous risk, right? The retribution can be quite high, right? And we have periodically seen um, uh, the Kremlin come down on. Um, nationalists and 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 uh, various uh, sort of semi-vigilante groups that that uh, that maybe have gotten a bit too big for their britches. Um, but it also means that people are doing this um, for their own purposes, right? So if, if you're going to kill an opposition politician in Russia, it's an awful thing to say. But if if, if this is your calculation, right? Yes, you're doing it because you think it's going to make. Um, uh, Putin happy to a certain extent, but but you're also doing it because you've got a particular reason, um, uh, either to want to be rid of this person, right? Because they're they're, they're challenging your position or your ability to um, uh, to do whatever it is that that you do, you know, say be um, uh, head of Chechnya, for example, right? Um, or um, or because. Um, uh, you have a particular reason to want to curry favor with uh, with the Kremlin, and of course, either of those things is a, is is troubling. Troubling and, and, and quite frankly, a stunning statement uh, in 2017. Well, let me move on to two final points in our remaining minutes. First of all, mm-hmm. complete this sentence: the state of U.S.-Russia relations today is what <laughs> atrocious. Um, 
I mean, it's atrocious for a lot of very good reasons. Um, this isn't just about um, personalities, right? Um, Russia is governed in, in a very particular way, right, that we've just talked about. But um, uh, it's a way that, um, you know, that, that works to an extent for those, obviously, who, who, um, who benefit from it. Um, and, uh, and Russia has a particular uh, interest in seeing that that, that, that way of, of governing itself um, uh, is, uh, is allowed to continue, right? So um, the expansion of alternative ways of governance, and, and, and by this I mean not just democracy, but of, of um, you know, different ways of managing economy, of, of, of rules-based economies, of more competitive economies, things that look you know, more, for example, like the way the European Union governs itself, right? Um, uh, uh, is um, is a threat. It reduces um, Russia's ability to continue, frankly, to to make and spend money the way that the Russian elite have uh, have become accustomed uh, to do, and that, of course, then becomes a problem for the person who is uh, in charge of this um, system, right? So things like you know the, the possibility that a major country, uh, a major market like Ukraine, might all of a sudden switch from being governed, you know more or less the way Russia is, corrupt, um, uh, rent-seeking, um, you know, not exactly democratic, um, uh, to something that looks more like uh, a European or, or more broadly speaking, Western governance, right, uh, is um, uh, it's not just a nuisance to Russia. It's, it's potentially an existential uh, problem, right? And, and um, you know, I think we assumed in the early 90s that Russia, having come out of the Soviet experience, having been you know, moved towards a market economy, would sort of inevitably become uh, more like us, whatever like us means. Um, and uh, so while we uh, and, and Europe as well sort of invested heavily in, in transition in places like uh, Central Europe, you know, with, with varying degrees of success, we, uh, we treated um, uh, Russia with a degree of uh, of neglect, um, and uh, and 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 didn't um, uh, really take I think the the, the role of um, of helping to find ways to create different incentives uh, for um, uh, for Russian business, for Russian citizens, for 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 Russian politics, um, and uh, and as a result, you know, Russia has has consolidated uh, a. Um, a system of governance that is very much at uh, at odds with ours, and it's going to take um, a long time of, um, uh, if not you know, a few decades of of really um, working hard to understand what that means, um, uh, um, and of, of Russia coming to terms with its own politics, um, you know, before um, uh, that relationship can really be rebuilt on a on a more solid footing. Let me conclude then with this question. How long will Vladimir Putin remain at the helm? How long will he maintain his control, his hold of the Russian government? Um, I mean, it's depressing to say. I think the overwhelming likelihood is that Putin will remain at the helm uh, until he simply cannot do so anymore. Right? I don't know how many years that's going to be. The likelihood is he will be reelected in 2018. Um, and and thus have another six years uh, to serve, and, and you know he seems healthy enough that he could certainly uh, last that long um, uh, physically. Um, uh, it, it's entirely possible, um, however, that um, you know he could lose the support of um, of, of the elite. Right, uh, the economy 
is not growing. Um, the uh, combination of, of, you know, middling to stagnant oil prices and uh, and the continuation of sanctions um, uh, does continue to exert uh, some pressure on the elite and and. Um, uh, and it's not outside the realm of possibility. They could decide that they needed a new governance. That doesn't necessarily mean it would be more democratic or more friendly. It would simply be you know, time for somebody else uh, to uh, to step in. It's also you know entirely possible that he loses uh, the support of enough of of the Russian people to be able to uh, to govern. This is not a democracy, but it's also not a system that can function entirely without. Um, uh, public support, and if his 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 public star, his popular star, is seen to uh, to wane too significantly, um, uh, then uh, it can also become uh, simply impossible for him to stay around. What I think is, is very difficult to imagine is um, uh, is how he um, goes of his own volition. Right? It, it's difficult to see how he can. Um, uh, walk away from uh, from the commanding heights of Russian politics without feeling that the risks uh, to himself and frankly to uh, to the country the way he sees it um, uh, are too great. Joining us from King's College in London, Sam Green, director of the Russia Institute. We thank you for your time and perspective. Thank you. You've been listening to C-SPAN's The Sidebar. Be sure to follow C-SPAN and C-SPAN Radio on Twitter and let us know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes by using the hashtag C-SPAN Sidebar. If you like the program, please like, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. By the way, every C-SPAN podcast is available on the free C-SPAN Radio app for Apple and Android devices, as well as Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.